Welcome once again to Rover Talk. With me as usual is uh, Dan, also known as Wagon Boy TD on Instagram, and uh, bring a trailer and maybe some other places too. Who knows? Dan, is that is that the case? Uh, yeah. One one day you'll have to tell us why Wagon Boy TD. I mean, I can tell you right now. Tell me, tell me. So uh, in 2017, I think, uh, I had sold my uh, Mercedes 300 TD, and I was selling it on Bring a Trailer. And, you know, you have to come up with a, a name. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, I wanted something kind of catchy and I've always drove wagons or you know types of wagons and since the wagon was a TD I just said wagon boy TD well there you go there you have it so today we're going to talk about a lot of different things so we're going to update you on some of the projects that we've been doing and we've we've been doing a few we wanted to we're going to go through a market update and see what the market is bringing what kind of cars are hot and especially what the hell is going on with the prices and last but not least we wanted to discuss a little bit of the Ineos Grenadier. I, I might, is that Ineos? Ineos? I don't know. Since in Spanish, it's Ineos. But anyway, we want to talk a little bit about this car because it's kind of cool. Anyhow, Dan, tell me about your projects. Oh God. Um, well, let's see. On the on the series, the last thing that I did was you know I put in a a. a a new carburetor because uh, the Weber was uh, was pretty tired, so I put in a new one. And I think like about uh, last weekend, after I'd like gone out on the trail um, for a ride, uh, I, got, I had a couple of uh, misfires. So of course I checked uh, the plugs, but it ended up being the uh, distributor was pretty toast. Like I had, I'd had, I've had that series forever, and I'd never uh, changed out the distributor. I had done the cap, of course, because there was a crack on it a few years ago or whatever. But um, yeah, as soon as I put the new carburetor on, uh, I got a couple of uh, misfires, and I, we talked about it, and I just ended up swapping out the. Uh, distributor, which of course I had one laying around <laughs> at the farm, and uh, Dan has a parts department. And I'll let you all know now. And uh, swapped it out. Um, it was, you know, that's anything on a series is is pretty uh, is pretty quick and easy. Um, the other project that I did uh, last weekend, it's not on a Land Rover, but it just beat me down um i had to change i had to replace the alternator on my mercedes uh w115 and you know true to form mercedes is like overbuilt and everything is completely crammed in there and it has factory ac so it it just it took forever because you know the 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 condenser and everything with the AC in a Mercedes is, you know, is pretty elaborate even for a 70s. And the only way to get to that alternator was to remove like 50 things. You would think you'd be able to like take it off, pop it out from below, but 
with the suspension that is in the 115, unless you're like going to take off the wishbone and like take everything off from below, uh, you're not getting that alternator. Yeah, well, you know, Mercedes probably thought oh, it's a lifetime part. Yeah, I mean it. Uh, it's sitting right over there. It looked like I mean it was in there for I don't know forty, forty five years. But um, so I swapped that out, got that uh, running again, and but I hope to God I never have to do another alternator on a Mercedes. Hopefully not. <laughs> well, this past couple of weeks dan has been very graciously giving him giving me his uh, time and expertise because um i have a 1988 uh 3.5 v8 automatic german market range rover classic that came in and when it came in the steering was very loose now in spain this car because this this car has a history it, it was originally sold in outside of hamburg germany and i have the original sale book which is kind of cool and then it ended up in the island of ibiza which is where a lot of germans have their second home um basically because it was always really cheap for them to buy in, in the in in the islands and then i bought it and had it repainted and kind of mechanically restored not not super restored. I mean, I, we didn't take the engine apart or anything like that, but we went through all the systems. The steering box was resealed, and it wasn't adjusted, and I didn't know this. Uh, you know, the brake system was gone through, suspension, everything kind of mechanical was gone through, and I'm now in the process of assembling the interior, which I have a new-to-me interior that's been re-dyed and, and, and color-correct, and I'll have a, I have another story about the sunroof in a second, but I'll get to that. But anyway... We needed, as soon as I noticed play, I thought, oh, let's take out the steering box and put in a steering box that I have from another car that's in pieces right next to it. So Dan and I proceeded to do that. Um, I think the hardest part is really getting the, the steering lines in, right? Yeah, it's really just the, um, well, two things. I mean, we've we've done it so many times now, we kind of have the trick with getting the the steering column like the rod into the into the box itself can be kind of tricky but the last time we did it was like mm -mm, it was right in um but yeah aside from you know lifting that 80 pound box onto your chest um you know it's it's fairly easy but the lines uh you know can get kind of kind of stuff anyway we installed the used unit and everything was good, and we started the car, and it literally sprayed out fluid like nothing. One of the seals on the back where the where it connects to yeah, the, the one that we took from the parts car next, or the one that you're converting to yeah. electric. So that had to go on a different on a different car. So we took it right back out. We put the old one back in, and then I spoke to the mechanic that had worked on the car. He said, "Oh, you just need to adjust it at the very top," meaning that we could have had that out and we could have had that probably solved in about 20 25 minutes yeah anyway we put it back in and finally after a little bit of adjusting there's no more play in the steering so remember if you have a four if you have a a steering box which is the four screw uh one you'll see that there's a big nut at the top and at the top of that 19 millimeter nut so that you know the 19 millimeter nut uh there's a screw that has an allen a spot for an allen key at the top and what you need to do is loosen that screw loosen loosen the the nut and then turn the screw 
clockwise if you're tightening, counterclockwise if you're loosening. I don't know why you would loosen it, but I mean, I guess you could. And then you tighten up the, the nut all over again, and that tightens up your steering. And it works quite well. And we saw this thanks to a video that Dan sent me through YouTube on a Defender. It's a really great video for that. It's probably the best one that is out there. Anyway, so st- steering box out, steering box in, steering box out, steering box in. That's about, that's I think yeah, what we, what we, we got did. it down pretty. Yeah, and then of course the very last bit was getting the metal screw at the end of the nut screw type of deal at the end of the steering line into the steering box, and we just couldn't get it to go. And of course, what showed up the Dan Parts Department, and he gave me one the following day that I picked up his office, and it went right in like nobody's business, and it now has a. It's almost got a refurbished steering box because, well, the pump hasn't been touched, but one of the, one of the two lines, pressure lines, has been changed, and the pump, the steering box itself, has been sealed, resealed completely. Yeah. So it actually drives pretty. And well. We know the pump works just because when we were filling it, it, yeah, it, it took it. So it it was actually pretty funny too because I had to drive it for about three miles with the steering not adjusted. And it was really funny because you would turn the it. I, I I thought I was in, an, in one of those old American movies where you'd see the the image of the uh, of the driver moving the steering wheel for you know from one side to another, and they're not turning; they're just going straight. All right, same thing. Yep. It it was actually quite fun. Anyway, finally got in, and Dan today, Dan and I have a, have have a mutual friend uh, here in the Chicagoland area that that uh, parts out Range Rover Classics. So it's quite. By the way, if you ever need any parts or anything, just reach out to one of us. We we've put some of you in contact with them, so that you can get your parts. They offer reasonable prices, and they they're usually you know pretty good used parts. Anyway, the sunroof on this car, which is really rare, because the, being a three point five and being a German market car, you would think it wouldn't have a sunroof. Right. Right. Well, it does, and the sunroof goes backwards but not forwards. And so I thought, oh, what a great idea. Let me go down there and see if they have a sunroof. And they had three of them, which were out of the car. But they were all from for, for 1990 and after models. So just so you know, when they changed the engine to three from 3.5 to 3.9, they changed a lot of little things, one of them being the sunroof. And the whole mechanism, even though it's the exact same size, it goes from having a metal roof into having a glass roof. And it doesn't anchor on the, on the actual car in the same place. So they're not interchangeable. So you're going to need a pre-90 roof for the 3.5, and you're going to need a post-90 roof for the 3.9. Anyway, someone had clearly already been through this sunroof and had decided to glue it back on. And it, when I talk about glue, it it, it, it was immense amounts of glue. Now, <laughs> someone might correct us here and say, hey, that's how they did it at the factory, in which case I stand corrected because I think that's not a factory thing, but it might be. And so the, it had so much glue that we couldn't get off that we ended up having to cut the roof out. So I, in the back of my L322, I have a Land Rover sunroof mechanism along with, I'd say, about 20% of the roof. <laughs> so hopefully I can pull the parts that I need. How did you cut it out? Sawzall. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. It was just, you know, basic, like, jalopy shit that we did today. I mean, I I was I was pleased because nobody like cut their hands off or anything like that, which I thought was a real possibility, or got you know scathed by the by the metal roof. 
But I kind of think you would have enjoyed that today, Dan. Wait, so you cut through the roof? Not cut. the not the interior roof panel, but like the roof itself? The roof itself. I, Is it in the back of your car? It's in the back of my car. It's in the back of my car. <laughs> It what it it's not cutting it out or cutting it's not cutting it off. It's kind of like cutting it out like a little kid would do. You know, like a like a four year old would cut out. Yeah, yeah. Tell them to cut out the L, and they cut out a bunch of extra paper. Well, this is the same thing with just with the roof. Oh man! So hopefully that'll that'll I'll be able to do some transplanting of the little bits and pieces. Um, and this week I I got in another car. Do you want to tell the story of almost having a heart attack or? I think I think I should, right? Yeah. So I bought in Spain a Land Rover Santana one oh nine Series three, uh nineteen eighty model year, and it's an older restoration. So I bought it from the son and the father had restored it and passed away. And the car actually looks great. It was it, it after the restoration it was it actually wasn't used. So all they did in the shop was every once in a while they'd plug some batter they'd plug in a battery and start it. So the engine runs fantastic. It's probably the best running uh, series diesel engine I've ever had. However, um, I was not aware of this, but um, when the shipper at the port of Freeport, Texas, went to pick it up, it did not have brakes. So in those cases, what they have at the ports are forklifts, so they can lift the car onto the trailer. And the, the you know the the shipper called me. He's like, "Oh, it's fifty bucks." I was like, "Yeah, pay him. Whatever. Just put it on the truck." However, I didn't really bother to ask, and the trailer is a double-story trailer. And so he didn't tell me this either, so I just, you know, the car guy gets here, and he parks on the perpendicular street to my garages, so I can't really see it. And he calls me and says, hey, I need some help uh, unloading the car. Because usually these shippers, if it's easy to unload and you're not there, like, right away, they'll get right to it, and they'll put it on the street. And, right. You know. Anyway. I get there and yes, it's on the top story and it's on the back part of the of of the trailer, the one that that hydraulically Slides folds down. down. Yeah. So the car's at a forty five degree angle here, and it doesn't have any brakes. And and it's one of those moments in time where I actually thought, you know what, this is much better than being in the office. But on the other hand, I thought this is one of those days where you can do the wrong thing and completely fuck up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, after about 15 minutes of thought, I didn't see any option of how to get it off. The The truck didn't, the, the trailer didn't have a winch, so I couldn't slowly winch it off. And the guy, the, the, the shipper who was really nice was from Burma. And, and here's the thing. That's great, but he couldn't speak very good English. So we kind of communicated in the best way possible. So we came to the, so I came to the conclusion that what I was going to do is that from the back, from the very end of the trailer, and and the ramp that was that was on the end of the trailer, I had about fifty yards to the cross street, and it was parked. So I had to kind of try to, once it was on the ground, align it in a way that if I didn't have any brakes and it went down for a, you know it went on for a hundred yards, stopping on its own power, I wouldn't hit any parked cars. So I tell the guy, I did, and the funny thing is, you know, you know what his his American name that he had given himself was Kennedy. Which was kind of funny. <laughs> I, I always get a kick out of that. Anyway, so I tell Kennedy, he says, okay, let's take off three of the four wheel straps. And then you take off the fourth. So here, oh, the other thing is that I did ask him about the parking brake. And he said that it kind of worked. So I didn't have a lot of faith in that. So I just said, well, take off three of the wheel straps. 
and we'll leave the fourth one on. And as soon as you let go of that strap, run to the to the street in case we need to block traffic on the street that's crossing. You know. Mm-hmm. So he takes off the the fourth one and runs down the street, but I'm still standing still and I'm like, Oh, okay, so the parking brake might even work. And that gave me some false confidence there. And I very, very, very I thought, you know what? I'll very little by little let off the parking brake and it'll squeal its way down. I let off a bit of the parking brake and it's as if the roller coaster ride was open. I went straight down. No nothing stopping me. And fortunately I made it down to the street and then I steered a little bit in that split second so I could align myself in the middle of the road and then I said, Okay, this is my chance and I pulled the park, parking brake as fast as I could. And the car came to a stop. Yeah. It was a glorious moment. It really was. I felt relieved because, I mean, nothing could have happened to me, but I could have completely fucked up the car. Yeah. And so I would have lost thousands of dollars, but I thought that was my... By the way, I I learned recently that third parties cannot get on the... Cannot actually get onto the like the trailers and well, help unload and unload the cars. No there's way. Insurance. There's insurance. Yeah. There's no insurance. There. There's no insurance for you. Yeah. Anyway... Uh, it was a fantastic um, feat getting that car off. Um, I, you know, Kennedy and I gave each other a big hug right after we got it off because I think he was relieved and so was I. And then I parked it for a little bit. Uh, well, I I started it up. I you know I ran it over near the garage and and then I wanted to park it in the garage and it wouldn't start again. And I get the feeling that someone at the port of Vigo in Spain. I hope you're listening, is siphoning out the gas and the diesel out of cars because it seems to me that every time I get a car, it's at the bare minimum. And then well, the they, shi- just, they just got to get out. But the shipping company isn't, isn't telling me that that's happening. I'm like, because yeah. I went back to them and I was like, hey, are you guys draining the gas for like, like weight purposes? And I'm like, no. I mean, unless it's like a, you know, a modern car, we don't do it. I'm like, someone in there is. Anyway, I have no brakes uh, except for parking brake car looks very much like I remember it looking so it looks looks really good what color is it limestone it's beige I would say uh, I don't know yeah I think it's limestone I think that's but it's a little bit darker than limestone I, it's hard to tell them because I haven't seen it in person yet but um, I would say it's in that family yeah. Right? yeah and the roof is painted white which is a detail that I really like what I don't like is that they also painted the um, the 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 windshield frame which is galvan- galvanized. They painted that body color. But all the rest of the galvanized pieces are, are kind of as, as they should. Oh, okay. Anyway, so that car has uh, needs a new master cylinder because I tried putting some brake fluid in, which it didn't have uh, or had very little of. And I'm getting basically brake fluid at all the bleed nipples, but the, the, the pedal just flops. So I think there's no way to build pressure, and that's probably a master cylinder. Yeah. Which is a cheap part. But anyway, so that one is actually, I decided today I'm doing the interior. It just, it looks, it looks aesthetically so good that I think when you decide what wheel combination I'm going to put on that, mm-hmm. and I think a new interior would just really do the part. Are you just having it, are you going to just buy the bits since you can buy the bits, or are you going to have it reupholstered? I'm going to have it reupholstered oh. just for a simple reason that some of the, the Santana Land Rovers, the seats tend to be slightly different, so I'd rather work with the original seat frames. 
um, oh, right. and and use that as a pattern versus trying to adapt, you know, the English. Yeah. So, so it's going to look pretty cool. I'm not doing the fourth row seats though, the third row seats, the rear facing ones. Mm. I'm the thing is it's so clean back there and there's no holes drilled in it. Right. And I kind of look at it and I think, oh no, I can't do this. I can't drill holes in here to put the seats in. Nobody's going to use those. Any nobody uses those. I mean, everybody. Right? The thing is, is like everybody on every auction always asks, "Do you have the jump seats? Do you have seats back there?" I'm like, "Who the hell is driving around with nine people in in there?" I mean, unless you have you know in a beach community or like you know what I mean, like yeah, something like that. But like, I'm not driving around with like. Nine people. No, so so I I will give the seats. I have the seats, and they're kind of beat up, but I'll give them to the future. Yeah, future the future buyer. But um, but anyway, really cool car. I'm I'm really happy I bought that car, and uh, the the owner I sent him pictures in the U.S. and he was thrilled about it. He was you know he was so happy. So hopefully the new master cylinder will give it some breaks. But um, that will be on bring a trailer. By the way, and the good thing is, is like you said, it's a cheap part. It's Super easy to to swap out. It's an easy fix. Anyway, so so those are those are my projects for now, Dan. That's basically what I've been doing. I'm getting in next week a 200 TDI Classic, which is one that I talked about in the previous episode. That's one I bought in the region of Palencia with P. Um, I had it repainted because the paint was was horrendous. Although it kind of has a cool look to it. Which one is that? What color is that one? Green. Ardennes green. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then don't you have a disco? And I have a disco that that is coming too, but that one is going to be coming at the end of, what month are we in? July, right? So August. So that, that one will be coming. I mean, that one might go disappearing on you. Because <laughs> that, one, that one looks really, really good in that color. It looks really good. It does. It's got the it's got the interior the same color as yours. Yeah, I noticed that it has like that um it's like a Saturn kind of blue not Saturn the car company, but it has like this Lurex like metallic thread uh in the upholstery. But it's a it's a gray that uh it just it looks so good in gray. Yeah, I gotta find some decals for it. I, I have a few of the decals. Like I, I've got the Land Rover decal and I have the TDI decal, but I need those side mountain decals. I'm gonna have to look for them. I'll probably buy them. Oh, the ones that go on the front wings. Yeah, yeah, um, those are kind of cool. Anyway, so that's that's what I've that's what I've been uh, busy with. Uh, hopefully, I'll have everything buckled up by the end of ne- by the end of this uh, next week, and um, and everything running. I'm dying to drive that that Santana it's just such a by the way um, the guy told me that the engine uh, had been gone through and I have to admit so in my small garage I was charging the battery and I want to see if it was charged so I tried to start it up and it cranked right up and I sat there for about a minute minute and a half just had it on just I wanted to see how it ran it has it still has the you know the adjusting the idle and letting it warm up anyway, so manually adjusting the idle. And when I turned it off, I thought, oh, I got to get out of here quickly or else I'm going to die, which is usually what happens with diesels, right? It didn't oh puff. no, I love that. That's it a... didn't puff out any smoke. I didn't need to open the doors inside the garage. I was shocked. Oh, you didn't even have the doors open. 
I did, oh. I, did, I did it with the door. I didn't expect it to. Oh. I didn't expect it to start. I just sat in there. I was like, oh, it's been on the battery charge. We'll see if it runs. And it and, and it did. So, so I'm very happy with that. Well, car. you forgot to mention the best bit about that series. What's the best bit about that? It series? has overdrive. <gasps> That's true. It has overdrive. It's got a which Spanish. Is, uh, which which will be great. I'll I'll give you twenty bucks to take it out on the Dan Ryan at. At 1 a.m. on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Well, they're probably I, I traffic jam. I, I don't know if you'll come. <laughs> I, I don't know if you'll come back alive, but I'd love to see that. Anyway, but it has overdrive, so that's fantastic. Yeah, and the gearbox has clearly been redone too because it is crisp. And all of you that have our series owners know that uh, the gearbox is just kind of intuitive. So you know, you just, you just learn where your gears are, and that's fine. Um, but this one is really, really crisp. So I'm very excited about this car. I obviously don't want to sell it, but I can't keep it. And I think it's going to be a cool bring a trailer car, and I'm sure lots of people will criticize it anyways, but it is what it is. So uh, speaking of bring a trailer, we wanted to review a little bit of the market. Dan, what's been going on? Well, I mean, a lot of us are aware that, you know, over the last... Six to eight weeks, we've seen a bit of insanity. Um, you know, prices being paid for pretty much all vehicles, not just like Land Rover in particular, but since we're talking uh, Land Rovers, you know, we had seen like D2s, Disco 2s, especially like the 0304s um, sell for over 30k which is in my opinion just a little bit bonkers because uh it's just that's just crazy to me because just knowing those uh those vehicles but we have seen in like the last i'd say two to three weeks we've seen the market kind of kind of relax and equal out yeah equal out calm down a little bit now now O threes and O fours are back to reality, which is in that eighteen to twenty four mark. Um, you know, for decent, you know, southern uh examples. Um defenders, uh NASAs in particular seem to still be kind of uh strong. We just saw a Japanese NAS, which is, you know, by all accounts, the same as the American NAS as far as, like, the years built. Uh, you know, they just had a few extra for... Was this a right or left-hand drive? It was left-hand drive. Left-hand drive. Um, and that sold for, I think it was yesterday, it sold for, like, in the 60s. Um, in my opinion, I thought was a lot based on the condition was toast underneath. Like it still needed probably another 30, 40 K. So that with that, taking that into account, you know, you're into it over a hundred. It only had like 50,000 miles. It had, it, it's a kilometer speedometer, but uh, it still only had like 50 some thousand miles, but it was, it was, it was pretty toast. So the Defender market still seems to be fairly uh, strong. The ROW market is is hasn't really changed uh, 
all that much. We did see a fantastic example. I don't know if you saw, but it was a it was a Arconic East Coast Defender mashup. So like Arconic did the initial build, then the owner gave it to East Coast, which we kind of you know see a lot with these Arconics that have come over. You know, a lot of the the owners realize that you know if they're spending close to let's say they're spending 150 to 200k and they get a 200 tdi as you know you've driven them i daily drive it you know as americans we've all i've said this a thousand times like they don't understand so then what happens is that they give it to an american company like east coast and say can can you like Americanize this? Can you make it so that I can, you know, drive it? And so East Coast put an LS in it, and then that hammered at like two hundred and forty thousand. Which, ironically, still I don't think that the seller he broke even at best, or didn't even make his money back because you know he was already into it for close to two hundred with Arconic and then East Coast. I know they're, you know, top end. Um, but that was a record, uh, you know, this this year in regards to, uh, like, bring a trailer and, you know, a Defender. So, as a whole, like, the Defender market has really hasn't, like, changed. They're, all the ROWs are all trading in that basically 60 to 100 range. Um, if it's not like a top hat, you know, uh, or, um, Land Rovers out of the Netherlands, you know, if it's not one of those top end builders, you know, all those are pretty much trading still, uh, the same amount. Um, series have definitely increased in pricing. Like some series have really done really well. And we've also seen Santana's, uh, pick up a lot of ground there's been some santanas recently that um have done fairly well um aside from that uh santana super that you know was an 87 which both you and i know uh is next to impossible to get uh you know parts for unless they're like someone like you who is from spain who knows people in spain like you know other than that it's very difficult and then the styling of course is it's it it from fifty feet it looks like a defender, but like as you know as you know you get closer like with the side gills and like there's just so many things that are uh, different that went unsold. Um, so not at, you know there actually there are several things this week that were bid up to that just ended up not selling. So you know to me it tells me like a you know. The examples obviously weren't that great, and thankfully people were noticing that. But the market has kind of, uh, I think, calmed down a little bit. Uh, what do you think about Range Rover Classics? Well, that's a great uh, that's a great question. We've seen, on average, let's say if you go back, let's say go back twenty nineteen. 2018 we were seeing you know let's just say like a hundred thousand mile classic on average 
we're we're trading anywhere in that like nine to twelve k, like on a good day. Mm-hmm. Now, I uh, pretty much every classic, and we'll take ninety, you know, nineteen ninety five out of the equation because we're seeing incredible things right there. But all of the uh, classics now are all trading. Uh, whether they should or shouldn't, they're all trading in the 20s to 30s, and we've actually realized a couple of 40s, um, you know, recently, uh, which is, you know, great because everybody knows that, you know, they're better than a defender. But You know, here's the, here's the thing. I, I've noticed and and uh, I've noticed in just an, in, an increase in value in Range Rover Classics globally. And I say this because... The, the prices of cars in Spain are up, I'd probably say, about 100% from when I started buying them maybe four or five years ago. Yeah. And I think that the Range Rover Classic... Because, well, for example, like the one you bought me, there's no way you could probably find that or buy that now for what you paid for back in 2017 or Oh, 16. hell no. Yeah. Hell no. And the thing is, it's kind of interesting because... It's becoming a global market too, and a lot of them are going to Germany. Strangely enough, really, because yes. there was a time where like most of the classics were going to like Dubai and like. Well, du- Dubai still is a you know Middle East is still a strong market. The Emirates, Dubai, everything is a strong market, as is the U.S. But I'm seeing Germany, and and I'm just seeing much higher prices. I mean, there's cars that 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 I see now for sale. And that I know that three or four years ago were half the price. Yeah. And and I just think that that's not a bubble. I think it's just kind of established itself at a market price. And they've, you know, they've kind of turned also the the 25 to 30 year barrier. Yeah. So now, you know, it's not a car that, that's 20 years old. It's, it becomes a car that's 25, 30 years old. So I think there's a different different part of the market that that sees it and then like you say i mean it it, it i think the the defender market being where it is kind of helps it because it's, it's half the price of a defender or yep. less yep and it's just a, a a really good car i mean it's got its quirks like everything like every land over product but it's just such a cool uh car that you can actually if you live in a in a moderate climate you can well if you don't you can drive it in any climate every day if if you don't care about what you know what the underside is going to look like but right. I just think it's it's such a cool car in all of its uh, iterations, and the other interesting thing that I see is that the the market for the for the three hundred TDI Range Rover is really picked up. I I used to be able to buy three hundred TDI Range Rovers that I almost I didn't want. I I, you, I remember I passed up a lot because they weren't they were four-door models and I thought, "Oh no, the, nobody's going to like the four-door yeah. model if they can have a V8 in it." Right? Mm. Well, no. That's the other way around. Now that market has really picked up and I think that we're soon going to start seeing 300 TDI with decent mileage in the same ballpark as, you know, 3.9s or or 4.2s even, you know, those last Well, two. and there's and there's uh a considerable amount less of the 300 TDIs versus the tons of, you know, 3.9s and, you know, all of uh, the V8. So for diesel guys, you know, like that, you know, 
is going to be a lot more uh, desirable and they're just a lot harder to you know to find a classic with the 300 yeah so even that, a 200 like it's not like it's not like they're you know a ton out there if you do yeah. a global search of TDI Range Rovers it's not like you have like like you do with Defenders you literally have thousands to choose from whereas classics you just you just don't anymore yeah so I think my 200 TDI is going to go up on Bring a Trailer too. I think it's the right spot for it and the cool thing about this one is that I've used it as a daily driver when I was in Spain for three weeks. I absolutely loved it. It's just such a perfect combination of daily driver. And and even even if you're, I mean, okay, so maybe it's not like fast like some people might like in a daily daily driver standard. Right. But that that car with a manual gearbox and you're just, just the, the, the overall seating position and the comfort and the space, it, it just... It works amazing. It yeah. really does. So that's cool. Well, yeah, it's interesting to see where, where the market's going to fall. I think I think we did go, and we might still be kind of in a bubble, but I also think that a lot of the lower end of the market, it's not really a bubble. I think it's just adjusting, and I, I keep on wondering why, because in theory, with coronavirus, things have slowed down economically, and I think a lot of it has to do with that maybe some people now are rethinking the new car purchase because they're very expensive. And if a lot of people have now seen that they're not going to be commuting to work anymore because their offices are permanently closed or semi-closed, yeah. then all of a sudden there's a, you know, cause before, if you needed a day, if you needed to drive every day, you know, whatever it is, 20 miles, one direction, 20 miles, the other direction, you obviously went for something modern and, and fuel efficient and especially reliable, I think for the most part. But now I think, that change might be having something to do with a little bit of the uptake in the classic car market. People are like, well, if I need to go to the office twice a week, then why not, you know, spend, why instead of buying maybe a $50,000 Mercedes, I'll buy myself a Range Rover Classic for half the price and, you know, and, and use it as much more fun. Yeah. And I drive something that I like. I mean, that definitely, you know, is part of it too, but also for, you know, because of the, the type of, emotional year that we've gone through I think we all need a form of escapism and nothing to like for me like nothing makes me more happy than getting in a 30 year old vehicle and shifting and and just being with the car I mean I think a lot of it too especially for you know you're a different generation than I am but like guys in my generation um you know we're all going through like that that second midlife crisis so you know in classic cars uh you know can solve some of those those things and even though the economy for some hasn't been great it's been great for a lot of people and uh a lot of people have a lot of extra cash right now and um yeah that's true you it's know people are on. making uh purchases so well it will be we'll, we'll continue to review this in future episodes just to give our our take on you know what's going on so the other thing i wanted to talk about and 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 i know this is controversial the ineos grenadier uh for those of you that don't know 
uh, Ineos is a chemical company, a very large, valuable chemical company. And the owner, who is, uh, can't remember first name, last name is Ratcliffe, decided that he was going to create a car that would spot, that would fit right into the, the, the void that was left by the old Defender. What country is this? Uh, British. I the headquarters is gonna is gonna be in Wales, but the f- production factory is gonna be well European. It's gonna okay. be in Germany, and so I saw a few of the pictures of the prototype, and it looked. Uh, I'm gonna be frank here. It looked like a bad resto modded Defender, and so I thought, wow, these guys are these guys have got some balls because they're putting some serious money into this venture, and and okay, people that have that kind of money can do that kind of thing um but then i started reflecting a little bit on on i think what the concept they have is what they, they always say that they're not based on the defender they have nothing to do with land rover or anything there was a that land rover sued them apparently they lost the you know there was there was a little bit of back and forth there but quite honestly they've basically built their own their own the, how do i say this the, the, a, a new old defender and of course, being Land Rover people, we I clearly looked at it and I thought that's a fucking joke. That that was my first gut. But then I thought I there's got to be a little bit more to this. So let me let me read and see what you know what's really going on. So Dan and I were discussing this just before, but we decided to table our discussion, have it here on the podcast so that you could all uh, hear it. But I'm going to give you the facts. So the car very much looks like a Defender. It's got a little bit of a different front, a little bit of a different rear, especially with a split uh, split rear door. The two engines that are available in the first version of the prototype are an inline-six diesel and an inline-six gas, both, both from BMW. Transmissions are automatic. They're made by ZF. Uh, they've worked with um, the some of the designers of the G-Wagons for the axles and the, and, the, um, and, the, and the body-on-chassis construction that they're doing. The doors... And the hood are aluminum. The rest of the body is galvanized steel, which I think is a, a really a good thing that they're doing. And they've basically just fit themselves right into that spot of the of the old Defender, like the modern versions of the old Defender. Let's call it like the Defender from 2010 going forward, right? Right. And I... I, in, I physically I didn't like it a lot or aesthetically I didn't like it a lot at the beginning but then there's always something that that makes me like or dislike a car and you're going to think this is weird but it's the price it determines a lot because in my mind when I hear the price of a car whether it's new or it's old automatically I think okay what can I buy if I wouldn't buy that and that's probably the main reason why I never buy a new car I just buy I buy other cars because I think oh well if I'm going to spend if I had if I had a hundred to throw at a new Range Rover, I could buy, you know, probably a very good five year old Range Rover for thirty grand, and then I'd have seventy left to buy a bunch of different old Defenders and series or old series trucks and you know stuff like that. But what what I've seen that they that I think they have right is that they haven't tried to develop a lot of things on their own, except for like the exterior design and the interior. They've gone to proven companies. So yes, BMW engines. You can say what you want of them, but they're I mean, I, yeah, they all leak oil and, you know, they got their cooling system shit and all that. But for the most part, they're good engines. ZF transmissions are, are, are good. 
and you know the development of the axles and the departure and the the entry uh, angles are 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 pretty much the same as a defender and here's the thing they say that it's going to be priced starting at 45,000 pounds that's if they can actually do that for a decent um equipped car it it i think it actually hits the spot hmm and, and and here's the thing and 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 yes I'm as much of a Land Rover purist as, as anybody as anybody else is probably listening to uh, to this podcast or or you Dan but I I I think that they've hit the spot the question is are they going to be able to market it properly and the other thing is if Land Rover decided to not do their old defender anymore then why is that is there because there was a disappearing market? Is it because it, they had to comply with too many things that were too many rules and regulations for each country? I don't know. What? That was a long rant. No, that, that's that's fine. I mean, I, I'm sure Land Rover just felt it was time to move forward. And they've obviously still have had, you know, great success with... Uh, with all their new designs, whether we like, you know, the, you know, the squatty discoveries or, you know, obviously they've turned a page and they've moved forward and it hasn't hurt them. They've actually done very, very Probably well. Probably better. Yeah. Very, very well. Just, I mean, you and I live in Chicago. I mean, on my three mile track to, to work, I, it, I'm sure like 50 discoveries, yeah. Squatties pass me, um, you know. So part of it was, you know, they had to move on. Uh, the new defender has literally won every single auto award known to man this year. Um, so you know, we may not, you know, gravitate towards it or love it like we do um, the iconic defender. Um, but you know every car company has to has to move on now. Whether I think Grenadier is going to be uh, successful, I honestly I I don't think it will just because. Here, oh, the the other thing that as I was listening to one of the engineers' interview, and they said that the, the part of their design, aside from you know, was that you could kind of it was kind of designed to be simple enough to fix with you know your your basic tools. Which in 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 honestly, it's a bunch of bullshit because you can't fix anything with basic tools, anything modern with basic tools. Well, that's just it. I mean, it's still gonna be, it's still gonna be computerized. Like I can't. It, I mean, correct? Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. No. Um, which in itself isn't bad. You know. I mean, my, you know, my L three T two is computerized, and I plug it in. It tells me exactly what's wrong. I fix it. Like, you know, as long as it's not like super you know super duper complicated i just don't think it it's gonna i don't think the the i don't i i'm trying to figure out like i don't think the land rover enthusiast is gonna buy it because it looks like what they wanted a defender to look I, like because I, I knew just then you just buy an row for less because you can still get defenders you know for well under 40k so you know 
then just buy that and monkey wrench on that instead of buying something that's like you know newer i don't know like i i you know you showed me the pictures of it and yes it it looks like it but then you're describing it to me and all i can picture is that it's made in like some backwoods in russia like <laughs> yeah the, you know what i mean like like but, a like a lot of although i love a lot of ladas i know that sounds <laughs> um but like to me it's like you know but here's 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 the here's the other side of this so aside from from if we take out like the brand out of it right so we we take out the fact that it looks exactly like a land well exactly it looks like a bad resto modded version of a, of a, a defender but if we think about maybe there's a maybe there's a an amount of, of buyers that bought the defender because of its capabilities and then you s- scour the market and there really isn't like a utility vehicle that's more on the simple and the complicated side off-road worthy work vehicle i mean you're kind of invading like the pickup market right well right and that 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 aspect of it i'm totally on board with um i you know and there's a few companies in europe that are are making these like really simple um utility like no frills kind of you know almost like defenders but they have you know their own styling the thing with with this is that I think they should have. I like the idea of making an affordable, cool, boxy. You know, e- even something that you can then make it your own, like we do with our Land Rover. Now, uh, the only thing too is that is that my understanding. I may be wrong about this. Is that it's not coming to the U.S. market. That they're going to do rest of the world first because I guess the U.S. market is probably tougher to get. Oh, one hundred percent. And I mean. You know that's a, a death trap. I mean, it's well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I mean, it probably has. You know, probably is not going to have airbags. Um, but I can also see, you know, some people, uh, you know, buying it and slapping. I don't know. I, I defender think, logos. On I it. think it's an. I think it's an interesting venture. I personally would like to see it succeed because. I, you know, I think people that go out on a limb and, and try to do something like this, I think that, that they deserve some credit. Now, I think there's going to be two aspects that are going to determine how it works, and one might not be possible. And the first one is the longevity of it. So, obviously, you know, on paper it looks great, and you go through all these YouTube videos where you see it tested in the snow and the mud, and, and its capabilities are fantastic. Right. The question is... Is that something that will continue to be the same for cars that have been seven or eight years put through their paces? Because with a Defender, you knew that it would last. And if, and aside from that, you basically knew it would last because every part was readily available. So yeah. it, the simplicity of the design made it so that you could keep your, you know, like your Series Rover, your which is the, the predecessor of the Defender, running forever, basically. And you could still keep keep them running forever. Right. I mean, so, like you said, that is the key. Like, if the only I, way it's going to last is, it, it, and I'm not sure if they've taken that into account. Yeah. So it it will be it will be an interesting thing to follow. Um, I, you don't want it to turn into like a DeLorean scenario where like one guy in Houston has like all the parts because <laughs> he bought you know everything that was left. Yeah, I mean, it it could be, but 
also I've recently read that they've partnered with a so they're going for for large scale production and they've partnered with a Mercedes which is I don't know how they've done that but apparently Mercedes built a 500 million dollar production facility on the outskirts of Hamburg and this facility is so modern that basically you can tweak it a little bit and and in apparently in 3 days you can get it to manufacture the whatever grenadier yeah whatever yeah. you know big large SUVs and they've partnered with this uh so what I think they've done right is they haven't gone into a lot of um internal development so they haven't tried to make an engine they haven't tried to make a transmission they haven't tried to make axles well a lot they've of gone, I mean that's kind of common for like a lot of startup auto companies is they use these bits these bits these bits have someone build it and then you know if it's successful then they can just go yeah. for it and it's, that's that's really smart i mean yeah. it's but i mean the basics are, is the same thing it's a ladder chassis it's a body on chassis it's not a monocoque right and the i'd say the positive part of it is that they they've used galvanized steel which is i think a, you know a lot longevity factor is going to help a lot but i mean it's i i think it's an interesting interesting car even though i don't physically like it but i like the idea and the other side of it is to let's let's see that it's really 45,000 pounds and right. what you get for 45,000 pounds right yeah. because if for 45,000 pounds you get something that's bare bones that you really can't take out of the dealership for 45,000 pounds you really got to add another 10 of decent you know like for example like the the new defender i mean the new defender starts at what was like 50 48 but it's like yeah, basically it's bare 50. bones. It's like bare, really bare bones, and it might as well have manual windows. Yeah, I mean, which would be awesome. But. Yeah, that would be great. So we'll we'll see. I, I think the longevity, if they can withstand ten years, and they can really throughout those ten years, the cars hold up well, and they're really as capable as they seem to be in the long run. I think they will be successful, and I think that they do have or they have targeted a part of a market. But the other side of it too is if you think about it. The car market changes faster and faster nowadays. So, yeah. it, it it there is there a market potential market for that today? I'd assume there is, but what is it going to look like in six or seven years? I mean, think of what we were buying six or seven years. I mean, well, we still are buying series and discos and shit like that. But, uh, well, but I was like, yeah, that's same thing. But you know, the new car market's a little bit different. Anyway, Dan, um, thank you so much for uh, for thank you so much for your help. Dan has been amazing. By the way, oh, there's one more thing I want to want to talk about. Um, I did a transmission service on my L322. All right, yep. And I'm going to go through it very quickly. So it's a ZF transmission, so you have to buy the pan. is plastic, and it comes with a filter included, so you have to take it out and replace it. You need to buy the correct fluid, which I bought at Land Rover. It's expensive. And the catch-22 is that you need space underneath, so you either have some truck jacks and, or you have a lift, and if you have that, you're you're gold. But very quickly, just remember that when you put the new pan on, you will fill it up. It will take about four quarts of liquid of, of the transmission fluid. You'll have to shut up the, you'll have to shut the, the fill, fill um, hole. Well, just put, screw it back in, right? And then you have to start the car and let it warm up. And with the car running, you have to take that fill screw back out and continue to fill it up. And it's going to take about two and a half more quarts now the challenge to this is that the fill tube is about is the plug on the bottom no, is no, it on the it's, side it's on the it's on the on the top it is on the right hand side of the transmission it's underneath the car you have to access it from underneath and the catalytic converter is right there so 
put some gloves on. What the hell? It, 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 it's like they made it difficult on purpose, but it's very much doable if you have high jack stands or if you, well, you probably even do it in a garage. It would just be a bit of, you know, it's kind of risky. So would end. you, I know we're running out of time, but like, would no. you suggest, and I know you didn't do this because you're not going to wait, but would you, if you're doing it in your garage, would you park your car for like a day, let it cool, then do the the drain, and then I know you have to start the car, but will the, you think that would keep it from not like scalding your wrist on the catalytic converter? No, because you for in order for you to fill it with the right amount, you have to let the transmission fluid warm up. And the only way you're going to let it warm up is if you let it idle for like 10 minutes. So by then, the so catalytic converter... Yeah, yeah. There's no... So it's not like changing out your O2 sensors where you can just no. wait a day, let it cool, and swap them out. So, But here's the thing, too. If you have a shop and you buy your own supplies and you take it to them and you explain the process, it should not be more than about an hour of labor because the, the, the pan comes draining. It's pretty quick. You, the pan comes right off. It screws right back on. They've got the screw. the The order of the screws is on the piece of paper that comes with the transmission pan, and you're good to go pretty quickly. Was it messy? It was because he, <laughs> it was because of course, you know, I was using one of those big pumps that. Well, how would I say this? It's like a like a three like a four gallon jug that has a pump at the top. It's a for for a by all accounts, it's like an exterminator bucket. But. Yeah, there you go. And so, of course, you're pumping, and all of a sudden, you reach the limit where you're where it's full, and you have to take the hose back out and put the plug back in. And so, the hose is still pumping out from the last pump, so it was kind of messy. Yeah. But if you put, I mean, if you're going to do it inside your garage because you have high jack stands, um, it's not that dif- it's not that difficult to do. Just put in, just put a tarp underneath. And something to absorb it. And then when you're done, you just curl all that up and throw it away. Yeah. Okay. I'd say. Anyhow, Dan, thank you so much for your help these past days with uh, absolutely everything along with the parts department, which uh, has parts readily available for for, for, for my use. I don't know why. They always <laughs> seem to be the parts that you need. Fantastic. <laughs> anyway, um, listen in. We'll be coming with you hopefully next week with a, with another episode. We're going to talk about a lot lots of different stuff. Remember to follow us on uh, our Rover Talk uh, handle on Instagram to know when the new episodes are out. Uh, Wagon Boy TD and SRI twenty four oh five. If you want to learn about what um, what new stuff is uh, coming in from Europe, and there's um, some interesting stuff in the pipeline. All right, guys. Dan, take care. Yep. Bye.